Why don't you turn with me to John, John chapter 15. We're going to continue our series here, looking at verses 12 through 17. John 15, beginning in verse 12, down to verse 17. It's already been read once. Let me pray. And then we'll look at this passage here together. Father God, we do confess our belief in these foundational, fundamental, orthodox Christian doctrines that center around Jesus and all that he's done to rescue us, to redeem us as her people. And so we as a church, we we confess that we believe these things. We affirm these things. We pray that you would now use your word to confirm them. Father, we do pray for any here this morning who do not yet know you. We pray that they would bow the knee, that they would trust in Jesus alone and so be saved from the condemnation they remain under. Father, we thank you for Jesus' words here. Help us to learn them and love them. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. The best stories all have one common thread. Maybe you can think of your favorite story. What, what is your favorite story? Now, for some of you, you've got to think of a movie. Maybe it's a children's story. Maybe it's a, a part of a biography. Maybe it's a story from, from one of the world wars, story of bravery. Maybe, maybe it's a certain type of movie, a certain theme in a movie. Maybe it's a comedy, maybe it's a drama, maybe it's an act. What is your favorite story? I think all the best stories have a common thread, and it's this. One person sacrificing for another person. One risking their life for another, perhaps even giving their life for for another, right? This moves us, this, this theme, this thread that we see in so many stories highlighted in, in different ways. We're drawn to it, risking for the good of another, self-sacrificial service, or, as Disney's Frozen puts it, an act of true love, an act of true love. At the end of Disney's Frozen, perhaps the movie I've seen more than any other movie, I doubt it's your favorite. But it is, it's a good movie. And at the end, Princess Anna uh, is, is slowly being frozen, right? This curse, if you will, that's come over the land is spreading even in her. She's dying. And, and in this last scene, her rescuer, Kristoff, is running to her. And there's hope. She sees he's coming. And then she turns and she sees her sister is about to be struck with a sword. And she turns from her rescuer away from him and runs towards her sister. And she throws herself in front of Prince Hans's sword. She's frozen. The sword breaks and the last breath goes out of her mouth. But she saves her sister. Elsa is not struck with the sword Rather, she hangs on her frozen sister. She's weeping. And then Anna begins to thaw. 
And life begins to come back. And then Disney does what Disney does so well. They put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And here's the next dialogue. Just so you don't miss what's happening. Elsa says to Anna, now Thawd, you sacrificed yourself for me? Anna says, I love you. Olaf, an act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. Elsa Love will thaw. Love. Of course. And then the chorus chimes in, right? And the theme builds and, and, and the curse is undone. And the land begins to thaw again. Frozen's probably not your favorite story. It's probably not what you were thinking of when I asked you to think of your favorite story. But Disney gets it. Right? It's a story of self-sacrifice. And I think all the best stories have this thread because all the best stories are echoing the greatest story, the story of redemption, the story that centers on Jesus's perfect life and substitutionary death and triumphant resurrection. The eternal son of God took on flesh and then died in our place for our sins as a ransom. So in his dying, Jesus paid the penalty in his dying. He took the wrath we deserved in his dying. He showed what he said just hours ago in our passage is true. I love you. In verses 12 through 17, Jesus continues to address the 11. The 11 remaining, Judas has gone out addressing these disciples about their love, about their privilege, about their fruit. And he ties each one of these, their love, their privilege, and their fruit to himself, to his work. So love, privilege, fruit we want to consider each one of those in turn so point number one our love for each other must reflect christ's love for us pretty simple this is kind of like christian ethics 101 our love for one another must reflect christ's love for us We really can't understand Christ's command that we should love one another unless we first understand his love for for us. So we got to start with his love. Only then will we know what he's asking of us. So we can put it this way. You got to start with Christ's love before you can get Christian love. Jesus makes this connection explicit in verse 12. Look with me again at John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. What's the last word there? As I have loved you. We noted this from last week's passage. Look back at 15.9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So though... Though he certainly loved them through his earthly ministry, he's, he's been with them. They've been with him for, for years now. So sure is his sacrificial death. Again, it's Thursday night. Friday is coming, the cross, that he can speak of it as if it's finished. So, so, so sure is the arrival of this full display of his love that he can say, I've loved you. And then Jesus gives them this command about love. He teaches 
about it. How does he teach it? Well, look in verse 13. Jesus' friends are the object of his love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is a verse that we know and love. It's not about frozen. It's not about a soldier or war. It's about Jesus, isn't it? And only then about the love that we as Christians are called to display to other Christians. How how do we know that it's first about Jesus? Look at the beginning of verse 14, the next four words. You are my friends. Jesus is addressing his friends, those who abide in him, those who obey him, those who are bearing fruit. They are the object of his love. These are my friends. You are my friends, Jesus says. One author Barrett puts it this way, the eternal divine love reaches its complete and unsurpassable expression in the death of Christ, which was at the same time the death of a man for his friends. Another commentator puts it this way, although there is a sense in which Jesus gives his life for the world, there's another sense in which he dies for his friends. What love? Jesus doesn't just give you his time. Jesus doesn't say, let me give you my full attention. Jesus doesn't say, let me give you the wealth of heaven. No, Jesus gives you his life. But this, of course, really falls short unless we we remember a few other things, right? If you're not in peril, and if his death, his giving of his life doesn't help you, then, then so what? So what that he he gave you his life if if you didn't need it and if the giving didn't do something. But, of course, Jesus has been so clear throughout this gospel and all of Scripture that, that you and I remain in peril under the wrath of God, apart from faith in Christ and his wrath bearing sacrifice. So his death saves his death, rescues his death, redeems his death ransoms from the condemnation our sin justly deserves. This is how Jesus spoke back in John 3 of himself. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But... The wrath of God remains on him. So the love that God shows is an affectionate love, but it's also effective, right? It's warm, but it's also winning. It's rich and redeeming. Look again at verse 13. You see Jesus's willingness to lay down his life for his friends. He's already talked about this back in chapter 10. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Satan didn't take his life. Pilate didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. The Gentiles didn't take his life. He gave it. He laid it down willingly. Now, now we're ready to at least begin to understand this command 
at the beginning and then repeated at the end of our passage. Do you notice how it kind of frames this passage as a unit? Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Look down at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Our love for one another must reflect Christ's love for us. So what are the points of similarity then between his love and our love? I think we could boil it down and say there's willingness and there's self-sacrifice. Willing and self-sacrificial. So our love is to be willing and to be self-sacrificial. We saw a couple of weeks ago from, John, or from Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 13 that you, you can be self-sacrificial and you can give and give and give and give and give again and not have love. So there has to be a real love from our hearts, a willingness, a desire to love and then self-sacrifice as well. I think the most common expression of this kind of willing, self-sacrificial love is not the one that usually gets portrayed in the movies. It's actually parents with children. Willing and self-sacrificial. Moms and dads laying their lives down again and again for the good of their children. Right? Preparing for them and serving them and cleaning up after them and driving them here and driving them there and providing for them. Funding and comforting and cheering and counseling and teaching and... All of this, right? But isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't go to the parental example of self-sacrificial love? Such a powerful example it is. He goes to the example of friends. Isn't that fascinating? Friends. As I was just reflecting on it, it just struck me. Friends. If you had to think of an example of sacrificial love, you probably wouldn't first think of friends. I don't know. But that's where he goes. Someone who isn't immediately dependent on you. They're not your biological descendant. You're not their formal caregiver. No, this is just a friend. Why is that? I think it's perhaps because our spiritual family isn't, isn't about natural descent. But loving those who come from us, dependent on us. But from a common spiritual descent, right? We're siblings and friends. So brothers and sisters in Christ, as spiritual siblings, are to show each other willing And self-sacrificial love. So friends serve friends. And the nature of this sacrificial love is that we don't ask who is my friend. We ask who can I serve? Who can I be a friend to? Look down at verse 17. Jesus circles back to this idea of love at the end of our passage. And I just want to make one observation. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus commands other things for the purpose of love. Do you see that? These things I command you so that you will obey this command. That you would love one another. 
I think we could draw this, this implication. If you want to grow in your love for other Christians, grow in your obedience to all of Jesus' commands. So obedience to Christ isn't just summarized in love for each other. Obedience to Christ is supported by the command to love one another. Let me say that the opposite way. I I misspoke. Obedience to Christ isn't just summarized by the command to love. Obedience to Christ supports the command to love. Do you see that? So he gives us all these commands. And as we obey them, we will live lives that are truly loving to those who are around us. We can't disregard Jesus's many instructions to his disciples and only choose the path of love. He said, I command these things. So that you will love one another. Secondly, our privilege. Our privilege as Jesus' friends is found in what he has revealed to us. I tried to make it an easier sentence to write down and remember and I couldn't. I'm sorry. Our privilege as Jesus' friends, where is it found? It's found in what he reveals to us. This is perhaps the most surprising part of our passage. Jesus continues to talk to his disciples as his friends in verses 14 and 15. And I think we find two, two things in particular that are surprising, that we, we might not expect and we might miss if we don't slow down. So point two, our privilege as Jesus' friends is found in what he has revealed. Two, two surprises. The first is this, Jesus' Jesus's friends obey him. Jesus' friends are obedient to him. So suddenly we realize, okay, Jesus' friendship, our friendship with him is a little different than our friendship with one another. Right? Some of y'all are, are good friends of mine, but I'm not sitting around thinking, man, I gotta obey everything they say. It just gets it just gets weird. So there's a friendship, but it's different than than what we might assume. It's far less casual. Authority, obedience remain. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So authority, his authority, our obedience still in play within our friendship with him. Jesus then draws a distinction between the the master servant relationship and a friend relationship. And the distinction isn't. That friends or servants obey and friends don't. That's what we would expect, right? Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. So uh, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I think this quote is in your bulletin, right? Obedience is not what makes believers Jesus's friends, but what characterizes Jesus's friends. So here's the first surprise. No longer servants, but friends and friends are obedient to Jesus. This is how our statement of faith puts it. We believe that the new creation is brought about in a manner above our comprehension solely by the power of the Holy Spirit in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience. Second surprise. 
Jesus's friends are distinguished by what he has revealed. So he says to his servants, or sorry, to his disciples, you're not servants, but friends. And what sets you apart as a friend and not a servant is revelation. So to be a friend of Jesus is to have this remarkable level of personal relationship, interaction with the eternal Son of God. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was a friend of God. They had a kind of interaction with their God that was unique in the Old Testament. Now that privilege is extended to Jesus' disciples and it's extended to you and me. So not simply Abraham or Moses, but I. I am a friend of God. Amazing. Remarkable. So how do we pull together these ideas of friendship and obedience and, and revelation? Here's an analogy one commentator gave. I think this is a really helpful analogy. An absolute potentate, so you're thinking of a king here, demands obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what to do, while his friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence, and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. So also here, Jesus's absolute right to command is in no way diminished, but he takes pains to inform his friends of his motives, his plans and his purposes. What a beautiful picture. Do you you get it? Jesus's teaching, really all of scripture is his gracious self-revelation. All of Scripture stands behind His commands for us to obey. He shares His purposes, His plans, His desires, His promises. So this isn't some sort of blind obedience to some distant master. No, this is joyful, glad obedience to the one who has called us His friend. And then backs it up with His blood. He has given us every reason to trust him and obey him. You see. So first we saw our love. Reflecting his love for us. Second here we saw our privilege as Jesus's friends is found in what he's revealed to us. What a privilege it is to have our Bibles. What a privilege it is to hear from our God and to know his heart. To know his plans and his purposes and to know that the one who's calling us to obedience is for us forever. Third, our fruit. Our fruit is the intended result of God's, especially here Christ's, choice of us. Our fruit is the intended result of Christ's fruit, or sorry, Christ's choice of us. Christians have at times struggled with the doctrine of election. But Jesus' words here in verse 16, John 15, 16, though they're not intended to answer all of your questions, do give some pretty clear instruction regarding this doctrine, don't they? Look again at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed 
that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. What do we learn here? We learn that the God here, Christ chose particular people. For salvation. When did he do this? Well, we know from elsewhere in scripture that he made this choice before the foundation of the world. Ephesians one, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Particular individuals, I said, yes, we find in Revelation 17, Revelation 13, also written by the apostle John, that individuals names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Do you see, I I think this is what's happening. Jesus is going to his disciples and you're saying, do you know your privilege? Your privilege as a friend. And it might tempt you to pride. And so you need to know that you're my friend because I chose you, not because you chose me. You got to get the order right. Otherwise, we might be tempted to boast in our privilege. We might be tempted to think, well, I, I put two and two together. I, I made, I, I made, I, I made the, the right call. I made a better choice. I was just a little bit wiser, perhaps. No, we have the privilege of be calling, being called his friends because he chose us. When Jesus called his disciples and when Jesus called you and I, if you're a Christian, to salvation. We did make a willing choice to follow him. In that sense, we did choose him. Jesus, I don't think, is saying otherwise. But we need to remember that we we wouldn't have made that choice apart. We couldn't have made that choice apart from him choosing us. Right. Jesus is highlighting this truth. The ultimate factor in determining who is his is him. Right? The ultimate factor in determining who will follow Jesus is Jesus' choice. Jesus' choosing. We, we see this elsewhere in Scripture in, in many places. Passages like Romans 9 make it so clear. It's not based on any good in us, any merit in us, any good works in us. No. Remember the second half of verse 16. Good works are the result, not the ground of his choice. Of some for salvation. Jesus didn't choose you for a holy huddle. Jesus didn't choose you to just kind of enjoy being around other Christians and all this is so enjoyable. No, no. He chose you to go and bear fruit. And in the context, I think it's pretty clear that this fruit is the fruit of evangelism, right? He's, He's commanding them to go and share the good news of the kingdom. Good news of what he's done. Bearing the wrath, taking their place that they might be saved. So go and bear fruit here is going to be said this way in just a few weeks by Jesus. Go and make disciples. Jesus chose you and called you for this purpose, that you would share the good news with others, others who will abide, abiding fruit. So this call to bear fruit through evangelism is not at odds with his command to love one another. So it's not like an either or. So either we love or 
or we share the God. No, 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 no. It's, it's actually a both and. Actually, they're related. They work together, right? They're, they're related, now. they're not, not just grouped together. Look back with me in chapter 13. Maybe you need to flip back. Maybe it's just on the same page. John 13, 34. Notice the connection Jesus makes between the command to bear fruit through evangelism and the command to love one another. Notice the connection. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Verse 35, John 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. T.A. Carson puts it this way. If Christian love for other Christians were nothing more than shared affection of mutually compatible people, it would be indistinguishable from pagan love for pagans or tax collectors love for tax collectors. The reason why Christian love will stand out and bear witness to Jesus is that it is a display for Jesus' sake of mutual love among social incompatibles. That's why we have to work at it. That's why we have to be aware that it can be eroded in our church, in our relationships. When we were going through John's letters, especially 1 John, we talked about this idea of uh, a self-guided tour versus a group tour. Do you remember this? And Jesus calls us to commit to the inconvenience of a group tour. You might benefit from the group here and there, but maybe you're still on a self-guided tour. But we need to work at loving others. Loving one another, especially in this church, especially those who feel incompatible with us to be willing to, okay, walk at their pace, rest when they need a rest, stop when they need to stop. Why? So that we can all move forward together. Loved by Christ, we love each other willingly and self-sacrificially. And as we do this. Our assurance of our faith in Jesus grows and matures. Our testimony to the gospel shines more and more brightly. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. Charles Simeon, preacher from 150 years ago, put it this way. Keep your evidences of conversion clear and they will be indispensable, sorry, indisputable proofs. That you have been chosen to life. Brothers and sisters, don't you want to live your life in line with the purpose for which God chose you? Bearing fruit. Not keeping it for yourself, but going and making disciples. Notice how verse 16 ends, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Further intended result, answered prayer. So you you got the connection now. He calls us his friends. That's tied to his sharing with us his will. His will then informs our prayers, the kind of prayers he loves to answer. Do you see this? So we're friends, not just because he's spoken to us. We have his word. We're friends because we have his ear. 
He's listening to us as we hear his word, receive his will. It informs our prayers. He says, I'm listening. This is a relationship, two-way communication. What a stunning intimacy Jesus is calling his disciples into. The privilege we have that he's called us friends, his friends. The privilege we have to know his will. The privilege we have to bear fruit Abiding fruit, remaining fruit, all of this sourced from and rooted in his love. What a privilege. What intimacy. What a comfort. Friends, our love for each other must reflect Christ's love for us. Our privilege as Jesus' friends is found in what he has revealed to us. And our fruit, our fruit is the intended result of Christ's choice of us. Let me close us in prayer. Father God, we are reminded... That we have a remarkable privilege and no grounds to boast. Help us to live in light of this relationship. You've called us your friends. You've laid down your life. You've called us to love. You've called us to, to bear fruit that abides. Help us to know this, to learn it and love it and live it out. Father, we pray for any here this morning that even through the preaching of your word, come under conviction and realize that they, they, are, they are still your enemies. They don't know you. They don't have this kind of relationship. Father, I pray that they would seek Jesus, that they would turn from their sin And trust in him alone. Turn from their self-righteousness. And trust in Christ's righteousness alone. That they might be saved and sanctified by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name.